Hey y'all, welcome to Up the Coast with Alex and Britt. This is officially episode one of our podcast where we are going to give you the pre-season lowdown right now heading into opening weekend this upcoming weekend. Britt, what are your thoughts on opening weekend and what kind of feelings did you have as a player? I couldn't wait for February for the opening weekend for to get back on the field. I mean, you've been practicing since August and you've just been scrimmaging your own team. You had a couple games in the fall, but not since probably October have these teams seen another competitor on the field. So you're just itching to get out there and compete to win, to put all your hard work out there on the field. And there's nothing more exciting than opening weekend and then opening weekend in the postseason. I couldn't agree more. And it's all the butterflies. It's all the feelings. Like you said, it's everything that you worked for Mm -hmm. all fall and heading into the new year. And, you know, I think one of the coolest things that I always hear from the coaches are, you know, from the pitching coaches is we are tired of facing our own, (laughs) you know, from the hitting coaches, it's like, we are tired of facing our own pitchers. We want Mm -hmm. a different colored Jersey across the field from us. And, you know, Britt, let's talk a little bit about ACC history too. And in the past, Opening weekend and the first couple weeks in February were typically pretty stacked with really hard out-of-conference games, and a lot of that was to kind of boost RPI and put teams that were going to be vying at the end of the season for a postseason run and for a top national seed in a good position because the ACC conference hasn't always historically been really strong in competition, but that's no longer the case. No. The, the conference has improved so much. The additions of, of Duke and Clemson and just continuing to get new coaches into programs and kind of revamp and, and revise everything that's been happening. And I think it's been one of the things from my perspective that's been most fun and, and most enjoyable to watch. Yeah, I think the parity of the ACC is 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 great. You know, we just don't have one team at the top. It, all the teams can compete. You don't. When we go through, we're going to talk about the preseason rankings, and it's difficult. Like it is not just an easy, clear cut who's one, two, three, four, five, because there's some great teams and great talent. And I think you see it in the ACC. The schools are really starting or have started to invest in softball. You see Virginia's new stadium, Clemson and Duke getting a softball program, Carolina with a new indoor. I mean, you see these schools investing in the sport because they see what it can be. They see the crowd, the excitement in Oklahoma City, the TV numbers. I mean, it's a great sport. It's a great product. And by schools investing back into their programs, we're seeing more and more talent and growth in the ACC. Gotta love it. The growth of softball is always a good thing. So let's get into it. You you talk about the coaches poll and preseason rankings and a lot of those preseason rankings, or all of them, if you will, are led by the coaches' poll that happens where coaches submit their votes and to how they foresee the level of teams kind of falling into place throughout the season and coming in. And that number one spot with 10 first place votes is going to be Florida State, Britain. You know, Florida State has historically, the last several years, been known for being more veteran in the circle. And that's not going to be the case this year. The Seminole pitching staff is typically going to be led by left-hander McKenna Reed, only a sophomore. But she's been put in some really big moments early in her career. I love watching McKenna Reed last season. I love how Coach Alameda challenged her as a freshman, knowing that this year she's not going to have Kat Sandercock to rely on. So she put her in situations that you would expect a veteran pitcher to be in, bases loaded situations in the middle of a close game, going up against Oklahoma, pitching against the top teams, getting the starts against the top teams Florida State played last year. They gave the ball to a freshman, and it's all about looking to the future and building the program for the next year. And I think by the end of the season, we're 
watching McKenna Reed in Oklahoma City, she wasn't a freshman anymore. She had the experience of a junior. So I think this year she's going to come in a lot of confidence and lead the Seminoles. And that's one of the things that Lonnie Alameda has done so well is really building that pitching staff as a whole Mm -hmm. and kind of incorporating that baseball concept of pitching by committee and Mm -hmm. pitching by staff into the the sport of softball. You know, we've seen some really good articles written about it. And I think that that's definitely the way that the sport is now trending because I don't know about you, Britt, but I look at some of these hitters now and I'm like, wow, like they're really good. Like I thought I could hit a little bit back in the day, but I'm like, yo, like, like they're phenomenal now. They're stronger. They're smarter. And I'm just like, hmm. You don't want to face them three times. You don't want <laughs> the same pitcher not. facing them three times. No way. Absolutely not. And, and you talk about the pitch by committee, but the thing that Coach does is so she's so good at it. And it's not an easy thing to do to make those decisions, especially when she pulls a pitcher that's doing well, that hasn't given up a run, that's grooving, but she still pulls them. She has this game plan. And I think that's we'll see this trend, but it's going to be a while for other coaches to catch up and be as good at managing pitching staffs as coaches. They say, you know, head coaches, they've got to have one of the strongest skills, just simply being game management. And it's such a hard concept, right? That's why they get paid the big bucks, not us, but still (laughs) a lot of fun to watch. But although young in the circle, Florida State's returning six out of their seven top hitters from last season, going to definitely be leading the way. Michaela Edenfield in the box behind the dish. She is phenomenal. And she is one of the most fun players to watch because she's just fully and authentically herself. You know, she comes in with with the flair and the flash of the makeup and just the whole pizzazz. And she's been somebody that I've really loved watching coming into her own, but also veteran leaders, Deb Flaherty, Kaylee Mudge. You've got some really clutch players, Janai Kerr, Kaylee Harding. Kaylee Harding was really clutch in that ACC championship Mm -hmm. run. We saw her come through with some really big moments and some big hits, but of course, the Seminoles are going to miss Josie Muffley, Mac Leonard, of course, Kat Sandercock, and others. But again, what are your thoughts on Florida State? I think they're right, deservedly number one. I, I don't think there's any question that they should be ranked preseason number one. You listed off of all those returning players that have World Series national championship experience. You can't put a price tag on that. So easy for me. I think Florida State deserves the number one spot, and that's where they're at. Well, let's get into number two. Who do you got mm-hmm. for number two? Well, it was a tie. We had Clemson and Duke tie at number two, which I'm totally okay with. I'm never okay with a tie, but <laughs> I can't really pick between the two either, and the coaches couldn't either. So we'll talk about Clemson first and the Valerie Cagle show. I mean, you can't say enough about how phenomenal this athlete is, national player of the year, two-way player, pitcher, hitter. She's going into her last season. Uh, Clemson got knocked out in Super Regionals against Oklahoma last year in a nine-inning, eight-to-seven game, I believe it was, and they were so close knocking off the best team in the country, and I think they're just going to have that fire to get to Oklahoma City this year. They're very much a veteran team now. Just Clemson, the program's only four years old, but these are the veterans of the team with Valerie Cagle, Leah Logaleo, Mackenzie Clark, so they're returning a lot, and I think it's going to be a fun team to watch, and I think they'll be very competitive. Valerie Cagle stole the show last year on a national front, coming in as the reigning national player of the year, and rightfully so. She had so much success, so talented. And again, just another one of those players that I look at and I'm like, wow. Like, you know, she <laughs> and she looks great. Like, I would love to have been her teammate at some point too. And those are the players that just make it it's so enjoyable. And mm-hmm. um, you kind of just sit back and 
enjoy the show, you know, because that's what they're putting on and it's just a show. So Yeah, their fans enjoy the show. I tell you what, I want to go. I haven't been to a game at Clemson yet, but I was watching the other day or saw it on social media. They had a scrimmage and the fans were lined outside the gate through the parking lot. It was a sold out scrimmage. I mean, the the support (laughs) and the excitement around Clemson softball is there. and, And I think if they don't end their season in Oklahoma City, I think it'll be a disappointment for John Rittman and this bunch. They have so much talent. They've, they're trying to make that next step, and I'd be surprised if we didn't see them there this year. Agree, agree. So coming in also at that number two spot is Duke. Uh, they finished runner-up in the ACC tournament, just lost to Florida State 2-1 to one in an absolute nail-biter in that championship game. But they got a, a top eight national seed last year, which, again, as an ACC alum, like you were just so proud. You're proud to have seen such a new program just really making and paving a way. Obviously, Marissa Young leading the charge as head coach of the Blue Devils. So fun to watch. They're so competitive. They return a lot of veterans now, too. And, you know, they've been young the last couple of years, but now just having so much more success, having played on the bigger stages And I think a lot of the times when you're looking ahead at postseason and everything else, you you talk about experience, and that's something now that Duke has that they didn't have before. You have to sometimes have been there, done that, to be able to be there, go there, and win at that, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's step one for for Duke this year. Yeah, the experience... Like you can't, like we said earlier, you can't put a price tag on it. And they were so young last year and kind of that ignorance is bliss thing was going through regular season. They didn't know any better. They didn't know who they were supposed to beat, who they weren't supposed to beat. But come postseason, that that experience matters. And they were, I think they were just too young. And they went up against a great Stanford team and Nigeria yes. Kennedy. I mean, that pitcher, she was young. She was a freshman last year. She is she might be one of the best pitchers I've seen thrown in a long time. She was so fun to watch. And they're going to be in the ACC. The, yeah. And, and, oh, Lord, right? And you're just like, oh, my gosh. It just continues to get better. But mm-hmm. it's so cool. It's really great to see the growth of it, the sport overall. And you love – I don't want to call Stanford a Cinderella story because they sat as, you know, a top-10 team throughout the season last mm-hmm. year. But, again, they were fun. And just getting the ACC, that level of play, that level of competition, mm-hmm. and also to play against it in postseason. Whoa, that's how exciting. <laughs> um, to play against it in postseason, like that's what you want to see. At home. At home right. too. I mean, hosting a top eight seed was huge for Duke last year. And I think they're just going to build on that. Like Clemson wants them to take that next step and get to the World Series. Duke is right there with them. And like I said, with Clemson, I think if they don't end their season in Oklahoma City, they'll be disappointed. Moving on to, I guess we call them number three since there's a tie at two, uh, Virginia Tech. What are your thoughts on on the Hokies coming up this season? Are you think they're a good a good pick at number three? Uh, you know, it's hard for me because I think the talent is there and I think the talent has been there. The thing that Virginia Tech hasn't done is consistently win when given the opportunity and put on the big stage. You know, we've seen them have really great arms in the circle historically. Like I go back to my days, they had Michaela Aiken and then more recently they had Keely Richard and then they have Emma Lindley. Like they've got great arms. I think one of the coolest things most recently is that we saw them have really great bats last year. Mm -hmm. They hit over a hundred home runs. There was so much power and they were a really fun ball club. But again, you've got to win in those big moments. It's something I'm looking for for Virginia Tech is Emma Limley in the circle. Remember back her freshman year when she was a number two behind Keely Rochard? They're playing down in Florida State, and she had struggled with illegal pitches all season long, but they were 
called like illegal pitches usually are like first inning and then maybe another one in the fifth inning, but she was pitching out Florida state and I was like six, seven, eight, nine, maybe 10 illegal pitches all in one, one or two innings. Pitching coach gets tossed. Pete DeMore head coach gets tossed. And then uh, Emma Lindley had to revamp how she pitched to stay legal this past season. And she was, she was able to keep that back foot down, drag across the dirt. Big rule change this year is that she doesn't have to do that anymore. She can go back to leaping. And I think it's going to be interesting to see if she's able to get that velocity back up and have more movement like she was her freshman year when she was pitching the way she was accustomed to. So I think that big rule change is really going to help Emma Limley in the circle. And they they hit 100 home runs last year, and they're returning all those big bats. So I think if Emma Limley can get it done in the circle – Virginia Tech's a solid three preseason, but we're just going to have to wait and see about the pitching. Britt, take me back to your thoughts and opinions real quick on the rule change of <laughs> allowing pitchers to leap a little bit. What are your thoughts? You know, I, I don't like it. I, <laughs> and uh, this is probably a hot take, but I don't like it because I think it was a scapegoat when they changed, changed the rule. I think just because they couldn't figure out a way to consistently call it lack of education with our umpires, lack of training with umpires that wasn't getting called consistently against the board. So they're just like, ah, forget it. It's not a rule anymore. So I don't like that part of it. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't like change, (laughs) but I, I just don't like it now, but I'm sure I'll get used to it. Uh, hopefully the, it doesn't give too big of an advantage. And I don't want to see girls, young girls trying to leap just because they're allowed to now. You know, you can overthrow and lose velocity and spin and great technical pitching if you're trying to change your pitching just based on a rule change. But I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but we'll wait. We'll see. What about you? I guess we'll see. You know, I had mixed feelings as well. I don't love change either. And I think that as always, Kocha, I was listening to, you know, uh, an interview that Kocha did preseason and Lonnie Alameda just kind of challenged like my thought process of it of, well, pitchers have only have so many ways to throw in softball. Look mm-hmm. at baseball. You have different arm slots. You have different things that you can do to kind of have a release point and really challenge hitters. We talked about it just a couple of minutes ago that the hitters in the sport of softball are becoming so good and so elite with their strength, with their intelligence, with the information they're receiving. And how do pitchers now compete and how do they up their game? And so she kind of challenged my thought process on that a little bit because then she was like, well, now adding, you know, or incorporating the leap in, some pitchers aren't going to do it because it's never been part of their game. Some pitchers to try to get a little bit more leverage, a little bit more power and speed might incorporate it into their windup. And so I was like, hmm, she always leaves me thinking, right? So I'm still undecided. I'm Spoken still undecided. like a true pitching coach to me. Gosh, always, <laughs> always, right? And think, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. That I might agree. be the first time that I haven't been 100% convinced by a coach, but that's okay. Fair, she, fair. She's a pitching coach. She's got to defend it, right? Always, always. Well, let's get into number four. Technically, number four sliding in is Notre Dame. And I think that we kind of had similar opinions of interesting that they came in as that number four mm-hmm. seed headed into preseason. Again, the potential is there, but we know probably just as well as anyone that you're not judged and rated on potential. You're rated on execution and actual output. And I don't think we've seen that from Notre Dame recently. You know, they hosted ACC championships last year we obviously got to go cover it It was a lot of fun they lost their opening game how does that feel when you are the host team that loses opening day Britt 
Yeah, I read an uh, interview with Coach Gump, and she talked about lack of leadership last year. And I think that you lose the first game at home as a higher seed in the ACC tournament. I think that's just the perfect example of lack of leadership on the team. So I think she hit the nail on the head, but she was saying that the leadership is there this year. It was cultivated this fall organically. And so she's excited to have it. new leadership, people stepping up. But like you said, it, you don't really know what you're going to get every day with Notre Dame. They finished seventh last year, but they had losses to Syracuse, two to Pitt, Boston College, the loss in the ACC tournament to Georgia Tech. Not a great showing. They did make regionals, but not a great showing in regionals. It's just so much of a roller coaster that you know you, you want to see some consistency from Notre Dame. And if leadership is an issue, I think leadership, great leadership will give that consistency. So we'll see what we get with Notre Dame. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, they returned Karina Gaskins, 2022 ACC Player of the Year. We talk about repeating success. It's so hard, right? The quicker you get found out, the quicker you have to learn to adjust and adapt um, to improving that level of play because it's easy to be successful when nobody knows who you are. You're Mm -hmm. getting better pitches in the zone. You're not being challenged as much. It's all about how you respond once you start getting that recognition solely because the game changes for you personally. And that's where I think, too, having great players around you or other really solid players, even if they're not, you know, necessarily the best is so crucial from a team standpoint. This is not a one woman show. You know, Mm -hmm. I think about the times I played with the Matty O'Briens, right? Like leading the country in home runs, the the Jesse Warrens, one of the best hitters that I've ever played against with alongside everything in between. But they were so great because they had other great hitters Mm -hmm. around them that made pitchers still have to challenge somebody, Right. And so when you are surrounded and protected by other great hitters, you get pitches in the zone a lot more. And so I think surrounding Karina Gaskins this year with other great offensive players is going to be crucial for Notre Dame. Yeah, you don't want to just be able to walk Karina Gaskins and then the next batter up. Now it's a two run home run, then a solo shot. So, yeah, let's see what they can build around Karina Gaskins. She's I'm sure she's going to have another spectacular year because she's just a stellar athlete. But You're right. I think what they can build around her is going to be key to their success. Up next up, number five, Louisville. I, um, you know, I think this ranking is probably fair based on finishing fourth last year, but the transfer portal and graduation, I think, really hit Louisville hard. Corby Otis, and she was such a fun player to watch for them last year. She plays with her heart on her sleeve, 100 miles per hour. She's that player that you can't take your eye off, even if the ball is not hit to her. You just want to watch her all the time. And she ended up transferring to Florida. Sarah Gordon, the freshman of the year behind the plate, she transferred to Georgia. And those are two really big pieces missing from Louisville and then graduation, Taylor Roby, the be- one of the best two-way players the ACC has ever seen. She can pitch, she can drop bombs, and they've lost, get this, 56 of their 64 home runs last year are not returning. Oh, and you know what that says to me is Louisville better find other ways to win, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, they might have brought in some really big hitters and I hope they did, but Still, it's all about other ways to win. You know, can we hit a lot of doubles? Are we going to be really good gap to gap and really solid and fundamental in our base running? And I think that I'm most interested this season to see how Louisville kind of bounces back given the losses because you've got to fill it, right? Mm -hmm. It's an ongoing evolution of life. We see it every year when people graduate or or now, of course, the transfer portal is a little bit more prevalent, but it is what it is. You just got to roll with the punches. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what kind of identity Louisville finds this season. Who are they? Are they going to be a small ball, single you to death kind of team? 
And if they find that identity and how they can buy into it. We, I think one of the most impressive things I saw years ago was when Florida State was known for their long ball. Then the next season, they didn't have the long ball. And it took them a little bit to realize, hey, we're not a long ball team. And they bought into small ball, moving runners, stealing bases. And they, if they wouldn't have bought into it and just kept trying to hit home runs all the time, they wouldn't have had the success. So interested to see what Louisville does, how they identify, and if they, uh, they buy in. Before we move on to that number six seed, I want to just touch on what you just said, because I think that anybody that has played sports at a high level and that has won at a high level would agree that there are many ways to win, but Mm -hmm. the teams that have won on those, you know, big stages have that sense of identity and they know what they're good at Mm -hmm. and then they capitalize and maximize it. And that's how they got there, right? There's no question of, who are we and what do we do well? We know what we do. We know what we bring to the table and we're going to show you. And and I think that's been, you know, just something that I've learned, especially as I've gotten older. Mm -hmm. Older. Come on now. Older. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Number six, my Tar Heels. There's a lot, a lot looking in from the outside at this team for the first season. Donna Papa is not at the helm, not the head coach. She was there for 38 years. I, I just, it's, it looks funny to me, you know, getting on Instagram and not seeing her uh, on the field during their practices and stuff, but they brought in Megan Smith Lyons, an alumni, former Carolina players. She's got extensive coaching history. She's been started head coach at Western Carolina, went to LSU, Kansas, most recently came over from Marshall where she had great success I think she has the support of the alumni because Coach Papa being there for so long, I mean, you just don't want somebody that doesn't know about the foundation and the culture to come in and try and redo everything. I think Coach Smith is going to be very gentle and delicate about, you know, moving the program forward, but also keeping, you know, who Carolina softball is. So I'm excited to see her on the field. She has my support 100%. And she brought in a big transfer in Autumn Owen from Marshall. So remember that name, Autumn Owen in the ACC. What, what do you think about on the field stuff with North Carolina? Yeah, I'm excited to see North Carolina. You know, they were always a team when I was playing that was just gritty. And on any given day, if you didn't bring your best stuff, they would be you. And I think that it was kind of just that like nuisance and almost like pest approach of like chip away, chip away. They've always been a team to me that chipped away. And I understand fully that, you know, that identity kind of evolves throughout time. And maybe when you played Brit, it was different, but they always had really good tools. They had pitchers that may not have been the best in the country, but they were really good. They mm-hmm. had hitters that could hit the long ball. It is a shorter porch over there. I'm just no, saying it was, it, a hitter's, it, was, it, it was a hitter's park <laughs> through and through, and I'm good with that. But, you know, I love playing there. I love playing against Coach Papa, she was a competitor and she was gritty. And I'm looking forward to chatting with her here soon. Yeah, she's that Italian fire comes out when she it steps is. on the field. The one, th- the one thing about North Carolina is they lost Lily Backus to the transfer portal. She was rolling. She had the majority of the innings last year. We saw her at the ACC tournament and she looked great in the circle. And to lose that piece, it for new coach coming in, that's going to be some big shoes to fill. So I think seeing how they can adapt in the circle uh, is really going to have uh, some major impact on how they finish this season. Definitely. Well, let's get into number seven. Um, coming in that number seven spot is Georgia Tech. Um, 
finished 10th last year. Not sure how I feel about this one. I'm excited to see what they do. Mm-hmm. I think Georgia Tech has always been, again, a team that had a couple like marquee players and weren't surrounded by other really solid players through and through. And I think it's just tough because you have some superstars, or you could, you have some kids that can really run the bases. You've got some kids that can put the ball on the ground or hit the long ball, but then who are they surrounded by, right? And I think that's where Georgia Tech historically has struggled. However, new coaching staff this year, Kelsey Bennett coming in as an assistant coach, um, a couple of new assistants overall, and really just kind of working through the kinks of those changes. I think one of the things, though, that I like to see from Georgia Tech is immediately challenging themselves. They're going to mm-hmm. Clearwater here in a couple of weeks and putting together a really good competition. Their first weekend, this upcoming weekend, they're playing Alabama twice in Clearwater. They're going to play Stanford, LSU, Oklahoma State. Again, just kind of throwing the kids to the fire and saying, hey, what are we made of? Because let's figure it out. And I think nobody goes into February knowing who they are yet. They have ideas what they're good at, but February is such a discovery period for the team. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're going to see kind of several things unfold and, and some things may or may not surprise us throughout the next several weeks. Yeah. I think coach Morales at the top, the head coach at Georgia tech is, does not shy away from a challenge. She's one of the most competitive people I know and, and putting her team early uh, against these big opponents and these pressure situations, she's sending a message like, hey, guys, this is the year we need to get something done. Let, let's make it happen. We're going to start from day one. We're not just going to coast our way into the ACC ACC play. We are going to be challenged from day one. And I think that's a good a good way to get your season started and light a fire under your players. And uh, I'd like to see Georgia Tech, you know, make a statement this year. I think this is the year they need to do it. Well, on the topic of new coaches, let's get right into Virginia coming in in that number eight spot. They graduated seven seniors last year, so kind of young as a whole right now, but a couple new assistant coaches. And I think that's one of the things that head coach Joanna Harden has been phenomenal. I love her. I respect her so much. She's somebody that I think just does a lot of things right in regard to culture, integrity, um, and respect. And She's had a couple of changes assistant coaching wise, and I think that's really tough. Yeah, it, it, you want to always build that consistency. Uh, consistency in life really helps. Uh, you build that camaraderie and, and make it like a family. But, uh, you know, sometimes those things, there's something just isn't matching up. You know, if it's even if it's personality wise or I, I don't know. There's so many different reasons to have assistant coach changes, but yeah, ultimately the more, the longer you can keep a coaching staff together, like Michigan has when Hutch was there, I mean, they were together for 20 years and that's, that's what you want as a player, that consistency, but you know, you also want your head coach to bring the best people they can around you to help you improve. And I think that's what coach Harden is trying to do is just bring the best people to lead this program alongside of her. I think the other interesting piece is we see some assistant coaches now being brought in immediately as associate head coaches. And whether it's because they were previously head coaches at a different university and kind of maybe a smaller school division wise and want to go to a power five conference like the ACC. But still, it's interesting because I think historically you've seen those assistant coaches kind of work their way up the Mm -hmm. ranks and make themselves, you know, associate head coach or head coach, make them that position. But now it's like just to bring good talent in and keep them to retain that level of talent and consistency, you've got to almost elevate them immediately. And 
I think that has really caught my eye at multiple programs across mm-hmm. the country. Yeah, it is kind of a new trend. Um, you know, just giving a title. Uh, I know in some situations it doesn't even change the pay. <laughs> so in, in some others, I'm sure it does. But, you know, it's like, are we concerned about a title that much? Is that kind of like the bargaining chip? Is somebody trying to go here or, or they get an offer here? But if I name you associate head coach, will you stay? I don't know. I'm not big on titles and, and things like that. Uh, but, you know, it, it is a trend. It's happening. And if you don't name them your associate head coach, they're going to take their talent somewhere else. And right. we're seeing it. I think it's crazy. It is. And again, just more changes, but Syracuse coming in and, You know, I think that one of the things I've liked the last couple seasons is some of the players that I played against, because I mentioned my age earlier, getting older, you know, um, Shannon Ducking brought in Sydney O'Hara into her coaching staff a couple seasons ago. O'Hara is now going into her third season with the Orange, and O'Hara was a phenomenal player at Syracuse. She was a two-way player, pitcher, hitter, played some first base too, and she was an All-American. So again, bringing alum back into that program and programs in general, we saw it with UNC as well. I think it's crucial because nobody knows the culture. Nobody knows the foundation better, I'm sorry, than the people that played there and contributed mm-hmm. to that. Yeah, it's like you, nobody knows what goes on under your roof unless you've lived there. And uh, I think bringing in alumni is, is big. And I think we're seeing that trend across the country. Washington, I mean, their assistant coaches are now – uh, all alumni at Georgia Tech, they have an alum head coach. UNC, you know, I think people are starting to realize, yeah, like you said, it's, you know, that's that's something you built and you don't know it and you know it better than anybody else. But Syracuse coming in at nine, I think is fair. I, I, um, I'm i good with that, but the they're going to have a challenge. Their ACC schedule may be the toughest one in the conference. They have Duke, they have Clemson, they have Virginia Tech and they have Florida State. So they th- their ACC schedule is going to be brutal. It's going to be tough. Um, but I'm sure Coach Depking and her gang, are, they're up for the challenge. I mean, you got to be excited about it, right? You can't look at it and be like, come on, you know, such and such school doesn't have to play any of these teams. No, you, you, it's all about your mindset. You got to be excited for it. You go to these schools now to play against right. these teams. Exactly. To play this level of competition. Exactly. So. Let's talk NC State. They're coming in number 10. I think it has been absolutely crazy to see what they have done um, just last season alone. Yeah, this team has my respect. Uh, Hands down, what they went through last season and still were able to come out and compete and fight every day. If if you don't know, their coaching staff was let go mid-season, like right at ACC play. Entire staff let go. So their director of ops steps in as the head coach. Their graduate assistant, uh, she was one year out of college, steps into an assistant coaching role. So they had two coaches that weren't even planning on being a coaching, (laughs) being, being on the coaching staff, right? I mean, director of ops is a more administrative role, but now he's the head coach. These players are showing up day in and day out, competing Till the end, they had to take one game from Pitt in their last series to make it to the ACC tournament. They weren't able to, but I tell you what, their head coach, the former director of office, gets tossed in the middle of that game, and they have one coach. But you you wouldn't know it. If you watch these players go out in the field, you didn't know what they were going through, didn't know that they had one coach on their bench. So they have my respect. They fought every day, just showing up, going through all that, and props to the Wolfpack. 
Props, props to the Wolfpack for sure. Those athletes endured a lot. And I think just kind of getting that experience, dealing with that adversity says more about them than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I'm so impressed with how they responded. And I'm really excited to see them actually getting a great opportunity this year. Lindsay Lefwich, what was named as the head coach of the Wolfpack, comes in with some former experience from LSU under a phenomenal coach with Beth Torina. And so, again, just really excited now for these athletes to have an opportunity to showcase everything that they've been working for and everything that they deserve. Yeah, I think going through something like that last year is only going to make this team that much better. And having Lefwich in there after – after spending over a decade with Lonnie, uh, excuse me, <laughs> always talking about Coach uh, with Beth Trina and Beth Trina is she's right up there with Coach for me, so, a coach that I respect so much and builds great culture. So I think she's going to have that experience and come into NC State and be able to do that there. Coming in, Jordan, right, let's get into Boston College. What do you have on them, Alex? I a lot, Brent. I, like, I don't <laughs> even know where to start. I just I, I think that there's so many things that have been interesting the last couple seasons with Boston College. They've had some new coaches, some interesting hires as of late. You know, I you can get into the history and a little bit of the about on the coaches, but Boston College has almost been similar to me to like a Georgia Tech or a Notre Dame, just in regard to they've had some good talent. They've got a lot of the time, for whatever reason, I always feel like they've, in the past, historically had more down ball pitchers, right? Just really kind of leaning into beating you in like those annoyance type of ways. And it's like, they're never going to overpower you. They're going to do enough to just make you get yourself out, right? And I Mm -hmm. think that that's how they've always kind of approached their level of play and kind of that identity. It's like, Hey, we don't have to be leaps and bounds ahead of you or better than you. We just need to kind of be really good at what we do and make you kind of force yourself or get yourself out. And that's just kind of always the constant theme that I've seen from Boston college throughout the last several years playing as well. And again, it's one of those teams that they just become a nuisance because you're like, dang, how didn't I do this? Mm -hmm. Or how did I do this? And next thing you know, you just find yourself and you're like, "Hmm, I've not yet had a hit today. And (laughs) and how is that? Right? Like, come on. Yeah, I think for Boston College, though, to turn that page, they're gonna have to take ownership of their wins and their successes, not just relying on the other team to get themselves out. Like, when are they gonna turn the page and, you know, really start, um, taking ownership of their team and their identity. Uh, Boston College coming in at 11. They finished 12th last year. I, I think it's fair because um, I don't think they showed me anything last year. They have, did have a couple good wins over UNC, Georgia Tech, and Notre Dame, but um, they were did have some interesting hires this, this offseason. Uh, Coach K brought in Cody Damon as the director of team and program development. Now get this. He's a graduate of Oxford University, got his master's in political science at UMass. He... Um, founded a multi-million dollar digital agency dedicated to quick clients and impact-driven communication strategies. I don't think that sounds like a softball staff member resume to me, but it kind of does. You know, you think about strategic planning and critical thinking with NLI and transfer portal. I think, I think this is a, I, when I read that, I was like, it had me thinking for all could this become a trend in in athletics and in softball? Like we need these critical thinkers and people in the business world to really help programs now the way that college athletics are going. So I'll be interested to see like how he fits in to the program. 
Agree. I think that's just one of the things of another way of how the game has changed with almost like that marketing piece. It's no Mm -hmm. longer just show up and work hard and, you know, like elevate yourself and be a lead at your sport. It's now like, how marketable are you? Mm -hmm. How, how can you make a name for yourself and kind of capitalize on these NIL opportunities and deals that some companies are really investing in? And, then of course you throw in analytics and, and how that's kind of affecting right. our game where is it more of a statistics kind of feel now, or do you still take the people component into it? And I think that people are starting to balance the two. I don't think it's necessarily one or the other. So again, just continuously interesting. <laughs> that is all right to finish up wrap up coming in at number 12 is Pitt. Another Head coaching change in the ACC. Jody Hermanic was there. She is no longer. They brought in Jenny Allard, 28 seasons as a head coach at Harvard. You don't see that very often. Somebody's some, at one place for over two decades and then leaving to take another to head go coaching somewhere job. Else. <laughs> yeah, and kind of rebuild a program, right? Like from that perspective, Pittsburgh yeah. has had a few changes as well in just their coaching the last several seasons. And again, we talk about identity, just trying to find that identity and, and who they're going to be as a program from this point forward. And, you know, I think Allard is a great hire. Um, she's a, a former Michigan alum. You mentioned it, 28 years at Harvard. Ivy League's longest tenured and most winningest softball coach. So definitely knows how to build a program mm-hmm. and knows how to win. And I think that that's what Pittsburgh needs right now. And, you know, she is another one, surrounds herself with, Phenomenal talent in past players, not necessarily at Pittsburgh or from Pittsburgh, but you have Lacey Schur. She was also coming in named as an associate head coach with the (laughs) hire from Allard. And yeah, she was a previous head coach at Ball State. And so that's kind of what I was saying earlier of like, you have these assistant coaches that you're bringing in that may have been head coaches at other schools and they want power five experience. They want power five exposure to compete at that elite level. And that's what you're going to get right here in the ACC. And so I think bringing sure on was great. You have Jordan Dale, an assistant. She played at Oregon. Phenomenal. Another athlete that really went through the ringer and endured a lot of adversity. And so she knows how to respond well to it as a player. And now, you know, she's having that stage to be able to showcase everything she learned to these younger athletes. Yeah. I think that it's all about the team that you build around you and who you can uh, build to help grow your your players that's what the coaches are there for and Jenny Allard with all of her experience as a head coach absolutely knows what she's looking for an assistant coach so it'll be interesting to see what Pitt can do under new leadership uh they did lose a big piece uh Danny Drugmuller transferred to Duke she was their ace in the circle last year so they've got some big shoes to fill that the one big spotlight for them was Drugmuller last year and she's out new coach in let's see what Pitt can do see if they can upset some teams this season. Bring it. I I think that's all I have to say. So Mm -hmm. as we go into our next segment, we're going to have a couple special guests on the call. So stay tuned. And we are excited to bring some absolute legends. And welcome back. We are joined by two of the greatest ever to coach in the ACC. A combined 2,805 wins in the Atlantic Coast Conference sitting with us virtually right here. Coach Papa from UNC, Coach Joanne Graff from Florida State. Coach Graff, 30 years coaching at Florida State, 1,400 
37 wins, NFC Hall of Famer, Coach Papa also NFCA Hall of Famer with 1,368 career wins, 40 years as a head coach, 38 at UNC. Who better to talk about ACC, ACC softball besides these two? Just absolute legends, and we're so glad that you guys could join us today, and I think we just want to try to get into a little bit of what made you guys so successful, some of the changes that you guys experienced throughout your careers, and just give anyone listening a little bit of insight as to what it was like being at the helm of programs that were extremely successful and just legendary. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's just a a lot of history, I think, with um, just with even UNC and FSU and uh, in softball and and just even in the ACC. But um, I think if I my history is right, and this is when it was under, I want to say AIAW um, softball. This was a long time ago, not when I was at Carolina, but um, I think. UNC and FSU played for a championship. Is that right, Joanne? We did. That was uh, AIW Slow Pitch National Championship. Yes. Back back in the way day, way far. Yeah. So So that's a long time. That's a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, I I think I was talking a little bit earlier. Um, You know, softball was added in the ACC in 1992, when we had four teams, it was us, Florida State, Virginia, and Georgia Tech. And then, you know, Maryland added in 95. And then in 2012, you know, there was more teams added. And so it's just kind of been fun um, to live through, like, the growth of the ACC and kind of go from where it was. Like, we needed four teams just to have a tournament to now there's 13 and then there's going to be two more added, you know, next year and who knows beyond that, but um, it's been fun to watch it grow and, you know, and also to have the support of the ACC and it definitely had growing pains. And and now, you know, we have teams that are um, at least four of them are preseason ranked, I think. And, um, you know, Florida state obviously has done really, really well and been national champs and, um, been in the in the spotlight there at the end, the last two teams standing. And so that's exciting, you know, for our conference. And, and I think a lot of the teams and the schools in our conference are really putting more into their programs, uh, whether it's facilities or, you know, whatever they're doing um, and the recruiting. Definitely we had to up our game in recruiting, but um, I think it's been a great conference to kind of grow in and be in. Um, for my career anyways. Absolutely. Yeah. Joe, uh, Coach Graf, we want to hear from you and Coach Papa. You mentioned facilities, competition, obviously the size, you know, the addition of the network, things like that. Coach Graf, what do you have um, from everything that you've been a part of and very much still a part of at Florida State? Yeah. Well, you know, I played at Florida State back when, way back in the 70s. And of course, we were slow pitch. And we, when I came back and was hired as the first full-time head coach, we were also slow pitch. And so the transition, you know, we went from AIW and then, of course, transitioned into fast pitch when the NCAA took over governing women's athletics. And they decided not to have slow pitch, but they just wanted fast pitch. So 
Florida State had to make a tough decision, and um, I'm very thankful, obviously, um, that they decided to keep me as a head coach and to switch to fast pitch because a lot of the SEC programs, you know, Florida, South Florida, you know, some of those schools, um, I think Auburn, Alabama, they all dropped softball for a while. And then, of course, they have now added back. But um, we saw the transition. And as Donna said, South Florida actually joined our conference just in softball. So we would have six members so we could get an automatic bid into the national tournament. And, I mean, not into, well, into the national tournament, talking regionals. Um, But it really has grown. And I think that's one thing Donna and I both worked for was to try to keep getting the the sport to grow in softball. And people would always say, why do you want it to be stronger? That hurts Florida State. And I went, no, it doesn't. It helps the growth of the game and it helps the whole conference. And then, you know, as we gradually saw other teams add, it became better. Um, now it's amazing, you know, with between Notre Dame and Syracuse and Pittsburgh and Boston College and, you know, and then, of course, the addition of will be Cal and Stanford down the road. But it has emerged into, I think, one of the top conferences in the country. And fortunately, you know, as I'll kind of indicate what Donna said, Schools are really building nice facilities, and those of us that have had facilities, they're adding on to those facilities. Um, And I think, again, that just speaks to the growth of the sport. So it has been really exciting to be a part of it, uh, to see it from, you know, when I played and we got kicked off of the intramural field to where we practiced when men's intramural started, to now they have a really – phenomenal facility as do a lot of the ACC schools. Yeah, you talk about the the challenges of just needing six teams to get an automatic bid. I mean, just to lay that foundation when you, you all just started coaching and to maintain that and continue to evolve your style with the players and fighting for more funds. I think the ACC definitely stands on your shoulders from a softball standpoint, from where it, where it started, from four teams and getting the national bid. So we are very thankful for what you did, the legwork and the challenges you went through. Um, if you talk on like, the challenges and how you had to evolve as a coach within the ACC, I mean, Coach P were there for 38 years, Coach Graff, you were there for 30 years. How did you evolve with the times? Times are changing now. But over a span of 30 years, what did that take and what did that look like in the ACC? I think yeah. you have to be flexible a little bit, you know. And the changes in the last 10 years, and Donna can speak more to this because she coached longer than I did. But in the last 10 years, I think the technology changes have just been unbelievable. I mean, you know, we barely had video cameras, you know, to film our practices and hardly did that early on, of course, because we didn't have the staff. You know, you had yourself was the head coach and you had no assistants. You know, we didn't have sports information people or video people or technology people. And that has really grown. And I think it um, it just says a lot to how the sport has adapted as well. Um, I'm not so sure I would have liked all of the technology, 
that's going on. I mean, they measure every single little thing. I kind of like tr- going with my gut and mm-hmm. trying to figure some things out. But the technology has definitely helped the players advance at a qu- at a quicker rate. But I think the key for young coaches or coaches coaches now, they have got to adapt to what the rules are. They've got to adapt to the new technology and the new student athletes because all of those things have really um, emerged, I think, for the better. Yeah, I mean, for me, when I first got to Carolina, um, my challenge was the high schools, in terms of recruiting in the state, they were all slow pitch. And so um, one of the dads of one of the players was a proponent for getting fast pitch in the high schools to help develop from there, you know, the college program. So I had to work with a lot of players that had slow pitch background. Um, we had some some players from like New Jersey and New York that were here, the pitchers mainly and or catchers. And we had to work on, you know, teaching them base running, bunting, um, you know, hitting was even, you know, different. But I will say for the slow pitch players, the defensive end of it was awesome because they got to field so many balls, um, have so many opportunities, what you know, in the outfield and all that. But that was a challenge in trying to grow the game in North Carolina and, you know, grow the coaches. So we had a lot of clinics and camps and things like that to help teach once they did finally vote fast pitch in, uh, you know, a few years after I was there. Um it was still growing, you know, still trying to grow the sport within our state. And also, you know, my, when I first got to Carolina, I think if I remember correctly, I had one scholarship. Then it went to three, then it went to six, then it went to nine, then it went to 12. So in the meantime, there was gaps there along the way that made it tough to kind of keep up with the programs too, that had 12 or you know, they next. anyways um good times but um you know it but it it was those challenges were not that they weren't they weren't fun I mean in a lot of ways to see what you could do with what you had and then you added pieces in um but I agree with Joanne um to the technology in the last 10 years well even yeah even the last couple of years there's so much more analytics and um, you know, things like synergy, like synergy is a godsend um, for, I think, people that announce for coaches. I was able to navigate through it and that, I, I felt really good about myself um, being able to do that. And, and it gives you so much information, but you just have to figure out what's the most important information for you to have about the other team, to have about your team, to be able to use it to your advantage um, and also to be able to scout well your opponent, like you really have to, like the amount of time you have to put into scouting is just so much more than before. And before you relied on other coaches and then some coaches, you were like, I don't want to get a report from them. And you kind of hit the same coach all the time because they did well with their reports. But now synergy is like, there's not too much better out there. I'm not a rep for them, but they, <laughs> they have it um, really down to a, a really good science, I think. And then, you, you know, your six, four, three charts and there's just so much information. And now with the pitchers um, and the, the coaches calling pitches, you know, it's all, the, you know, electronic stuff. And I don't know, you know, it's really evolved to a really high, high level. Um, it, it absolutely has. And Coach I- Craft, you have more to add? Yeah. 
Yeah, the other thing is so many games are on TV now. You know, I think the players and the coaches can watch those games and really get a feel for what the other team's going to do. And I think I think that, of course, helps the players. And it also helps the young kids that are learning the game. You know, the younger kids that now have female idols to look up to and can wear the jerseys of the female players. And I, I think, of course, TV has just been phenomenal for the growth of the sport. It's been awesome. And you two are a big part of that. Yeah, thank Thanks. You. We're very fortunate. So, Coach Papa, you started talking about the evolution of the game, and I want to throw another wrench in there now of NIL and even Transfer Portal, and how has that kind of revolutionized the game in its current state today? Yeah, I think the NIL, you know, the NIL isn't a bad thing in if you look at the just the premise of it, you know, athletes being able to benefit. Um, and I said this earlier, like if I'm a normal student, I can invent something, have some product and I can benefit from it. And I think athletes should be able to, but kind of where it's gone now, along with the transfer portal, um, I think that athletes, you know, they are really controlling things a little more and, and because of the transfer, you're not necessarily, you're having to keep your own team. You have to recruit your own team to stay all the time, make sure you're doing the right things there. You have to be in the portal. Um, then you have to worry about, you know, who's maybe, you know, coming after your players while they're still at your school and you're trying to develop them. And, and you see, like, I see a vision, like say I recruited B when I recruited BMAC, um, you know, somebody that could hit and had a good arm and was a good catcher. And then, but I can see her being like one of the better players in the ACC. And so you see that over time, but it's going to take this next year for her to develop her throw better or whatever it is. And then sometimes you're only getting two years with a player and then they go off somewhere else. And the stuff that you invested in them, you invested in that person, that player, and you passed up another player for them and sometimes you're not getting to see the benefit of that, that four-year player in your program. And like for me, I really value relationships. So building a relationship to me was really important. But now with all the big salaries that coaches are getting, right, six figures and beyond, you know, you're expected to win. And in order to win, you've got to be in the portal. So you have to have a coach kind of in the portal a lot. And then the NIL deals are happening and some schools are able to, to have access to more monies. And so then they're going to be able to cherry pick certain players. And now they're going to continue to be at the top or have that advantage every year where, you know, you, you are constantly clawing to try to stay in the game. Um, and I'm not saying the NIL is a bad thing at all. I think there's there's ways it can be good, but I do think now more players are have the power. And, um, you know, just looking at today, uh, you know, one of the Ivy Leagues, they, you know, they were looking at unionizing and the baseball, right, um, Dartmouth. And so um, I think that, that changes so many things. It, there's a lot of elements that are now in the game that you have to worry about as opposed to just coaching, like, how do we do bunt defense? Hey, what's the best way to get in the box to, you know, execute a bunt or a slap? So I think those things um, have, they take a back seat. Like you only coach 10% of the time because you're having to manage all these other parts of, 
your athletes. And, um, and at the end of the day, the kids are still great kids, but there's just so much out there and so much kind of pressure or they want to be good quick or they want to go to the World Series. Everybody does, but not everybody can go, but they want to get that fast track to get there. And those schools want to stay there and those coaches are their contracts. And there's so many things that go along with it. Yeah. You know, changes that are going to come too in the future with NIL and transfer portal, it's going to have to be adjusted because right now there's not very many rules. There's no transparency. Um, and I don't think it has affected softball drastically but it has affected softball for this coming up season. I mean, you've seen, you know, Jordy Ball went from Oklahoma to Nebraska. Well, all of a sudden, Nebraska's now in the mix for going to the World Series, you know, and you're seeing uh, the kid from Oklahoma State that went to Oklahoma. So you are seeing some important differences, I guess, in the competitive level of teams based on transfers. I'm kind of like Donna, you know, it's, it's hard for me to envision having coached a kid for three years, gotten her to a certain level. And then all of a sudden she leaves and goes to my conference rival, for example. And I I think that's hard. um, But I understand the transfer portal. If coaches leave, you know, and of course you're seeing it tremendously in football. Um, you know, and, and I think teams have benefited from the transfer portal and teams have been hurt by the transfer portal. So um, that's going to be an adjustment. But I do think that there there will be some rule changes in that. Now, you talk about the NLI and, and coaching. Coach, in your experience and Coach Graf looking in from the outside for the past few years, do you think it's changed how coaches – coach players you know you have this one superstar but you want to make sure she stays for four years are you I I mean I feel like you know you don't want to make this player mad does it change like I don't know I just couldn't imagine walking that fine line with in the back of your head as a coach like hey is my superstar going to leave next year like how can I make sure she stays I can't ride her too hard on practice like how how has that been for you coach or does it even matter or is it even in the back of your head yeah, I got, you know, I, I think you have to coach according to how you coach and your value system. I think there are a lot of coaches that will not discipline players as much as they possibly should because they don't want to make them mad, um, you know, as far as discipline. But I think playing time, too, you know, there are some players that have left schools because they, they do want to play. And if they're riding the bench – you know, they're going to go where they can get an opportunity to play. And I will say, you know, I'm, of course, we never had scholarships when I played. I don't think I would have been a very good bench rider. Um, luckily, I never had to figure that out because I played. But I can understand the kid on the bench wanting to leave. But coaches have – part of our job is to instill a value system in players and to – to hold them accountable when they do something wrong. And I'm afraid sometimes coaches are going to go the other way because they don't want to make somebody mad. And, you know, the, the kid that is really good can just say, you know, that's fine. If you want to suspend me next, you know, I'm going to enter the transfer portal. So yeah, I'm afraid it does influence some coaches, but I hope 
not to a great extent. Yeah, I think, um, you know, your culture is really important and building your culture. But um, at the same time, like I know the last few years, you know, since COVID, because of the portal um, being more significant, like we were always as a staff, like wondering, like, is so-and-so happy or is she struggling or, you know, have anybody heard, you know, like we talked to the upper class, like, has anybody heard? Is there anybody that's really, you know, like unhappy right now or, you know, do we need to do some damage control or whatever? And it's, and, and it's not that you wouldn't discipline. Like I, I definitely, you know, believe in having accountability um, and, and cause that leads to fairness, you know, amongst your team when you're trying to have a build a team. But um, there's a lot of things I think since COVID that you, you, you had to change how you went about that too. Um, what you did, what you could do, what you couldn't do. Um, but I do think like we were on a more heightened alert of even with like coaches, maybe travel coaches that might know this kid that's in your program that may have heard rumblings. And so you're always like your ears are up because you just don't know. And you wanted to be able to know, um, not that that meant you were going to treat him with kid gloves, but I think then it would be a conversation of, okay, what's happening here? What's up, you know, what's the problem? How can we make this better? So I think there was a lot more awareness of that and trying to make sure you could keep, you know, your players, but obviously like when somebody retires or somebody leaves, there's going to be some fallout, I think. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a fine line and one that I would rather do and talk about on the other side in the booth, but I definitely commend you guys as coaches just really going through it. Um, obviously, coaching is hard enough. And like you said, bunt defense situations, things like that alone. Things you should field. be working about. <laughs> exactly. And then throw in all, all the factors off the field, which hey, we, we've all been there to some extent through life, right? It's a very big growing period for a lot of us. But um, let's make a little transition now, uh, just on a national scale. So you, you look at the ACC, a lot of, or at least several new programs getting new coaching staffs, whether assistants, new head coaches, and obviously bringing different assistants with them. Um, obviously, some of the newer programs, Duke, Clemson, Britt and I kind of joke and toggle back and forth on when do we stop calling them new? I don't think it's yet, but maybe here soon. And I think just our question is, how do you think the ACC fares one, internally within the conference, and two, as a whole on a national scale? I think they're really growing. I mean, I think, you know, what Duke's in their seventh season and Clemson's, I think, in their fifth, um, if I'm got that right. COVID messes everything up. <laughs> this is kind of hard to count. I don't know if that counts the COVID year. Right. COVID. I think it's five with the COVID year. Yeah, I think um, both of those coaches have done a good job. I think their school's committed to them. Mm-hmm. You know, where Donna talked about having to build up scholarships, you know, I think Duke and Clemson probably both started pretty pretty well funded, you know, with both coaching staffs, facilities, scholarships. So they were able to progress very rapidly. And I think that's been great for the conference. I really do. And I think, you know, um, Notre Dame coming into the conference, you know, has been good. I think when we get Stanford and Cal in the conference, those are both quality, quality programs. And I think the ACC on a national level, you know, what Valerie Cagle got player of the year last year. I mean, that is really 
in honor for the conference as a whole because she was able to showcase her talents because of the tough competition. The other thing I'll say real briefly, and then I'll let Donna talk, but I think all of the coaches have done a really, really good job scheduling tough out-of-conference opponents. And I think we're seeing that in, you know, the all of the tournaments. I mean, Duke is opening with Oklahoma. You know, I mean, I think it's there. The coaches have done a great job building the conference. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. Um, I think our conference, like we're one of the top, I want to say one of the top three conferences in the country. Um, and I think that uh, one of the commitments I think a lot of us made was to um, do a better job with our scheduling. And then now, uh, I think it was last year or this year is one of the first years we're not doing the Big Ten ACC challenge. Like at one point it was good for our conference and maybe good for them, but we realized after a bit that we just wanted a little more flexibility, a little more freedom to go to some other tournaments or, you know, get your RPI a little better um, because some of the, the schools didn't participate, you know, from the Big Ten, like they cycled out or some of them had to sit for the year and then come in the next year. So it just gave the ACC uh, more flexibility to add, you know, some of those tournaments. And, you know, like last year we went to Mexico and we played Oklahoma State. We lost by one run. You know, it was a great game. And um, but you have those those opportunities to do a little bit more there. But I'm, I'm really proud of um, how the ACC has grown. And I, I really like I think Brandon Neff at the ACC, I'm going to give him a shout out as our softball person. He's been so amazing and so supportive and kind of thinking forward. And I, I, he's always been great to work with and help us grow a lot. But, you know, the Dukes and Clemson and, you know, they've just done so well. And, and I think it's nice when you can start a program and you can recruit for a couple of years and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, build that, that path. And, and a lot of people want to go to a new program and um, have that opportunity to, to put them on the map, which is great. And, you know, Florida State has done, you know, great things. And um, and a lot of the other teams, you know, uh, Louisville was had a great, you know, uh, year or last year. And, I mean, just a lot of teams are – everybody's trying to push one another. And you're recruiting against some teams that maybe you didn't before in the conference that we didn't. I'm not going to say who they are, but, you know, just recruiting a little bit more where maybe you might have lost somebody to another school that you've never really lost somebody to. So um, so it's become extremely competitive that way, but that only makes you better. And everybody's got to go for, you know, those recruits and, and getting better recruits and playing a better schedule. And so that makes it grow. And then when you do have a, you know, a Valerie – Kegel or when even when Tincher and, you know, just a lot of the pitchers that, you know, a lot of the programs were built around, um, you know, Florida State for sure. Um, and uh, that there's just so many good pitchers in the ACC. You could go through almost every every team and they all have at least one or two really good pitchers. And I think, you know, if you have three, that's golden. <laughs> that's golden. Well, and I think too. Teams now know they can make it to the World Series. You know, they have that belief system. And I think, and they know they can be player of the year. And all of that really speaks to the conference. Yeah, I found it interesting what you just said, Coach Papa, that it's kind of a collaboration 
of all the coaches, like we need to have a better schedule. We need to have better RPI for our conference, because if our conference is on the national stage, we can recruit better. We can, people want to play in the ACC, maybe not just a specific school, but the ACC seems like where I can go and compete on a national stage. And I never really thought about the coaches coming together, even though you're competitors and want to beat each other, but as a whole working for a greater good, that's really interesting. Um, I want to talk a little bit, we talked about adding Notre Dame and Syracuse and all these schools to the conference and uh, Cal and Stanford coming in next year. Those previous schools all geographically kind of fit together in the ACC. Now we're going West Coast. I mean, as far West Coast as you can. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Yes, Stanford and Cal, great softball, uh, especially Stanford right now. Um, besides that, kind of on like the the stress it puts on the coaches, the student athletes. Is this a, is this the right move? Is this something you want to see? Just like to hear your thoughts and opinions on it. I don't think anything that I personally want to see, because I think the PAC 12 was a great conference. I think it was regionally based. They had, of course, outstanding programs and they still do, you know, you've got your UCLA, your, of course, Arizona, Arizona State, Washington. I mean, and I could name all of them. Um, and they were just classic. But, you know, I, I don't know if I, unfortunate is the right word. But once some schools started leaving the conference, I think it was inevitable that it was going to split up. And, you know, I mean, I love Stanford and Cal as schools. I think they've got great coaches, great programs. I think the distance is an issue, and I think that's – I just I, – I welcome them to the conference, but I hate that the Pac-12 got disbanded, I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I think, like, if you're a kid that's out in California, um, Stanford, Cal, UCLA, like, your parents can see you play pretty – most times – and so I think that's really difficult for those kids, especially in the Pac-12 or any of the conferences where they are going to merge. You know, a lot of times you have those ties with your family and, and things like that. And you want to be seen or you want your family to be able to see you or maybe they can't afford to fly across the country for how many games you're going to play over on the East Coast. And so I think for that, that's tough. But I think adding them in definitely bumps us up more and it, and it really helps softball. But then you're adding Oklahoma into, you know, the SEC. I mean, so everybody's getting stronger. Um, but I, I'm, I'm a traditionalist and I love like the ACC being in the, in the South, um, Southeast. And, you know, we obviously added a lot of the Big East teams at the time, Notre Dame, Louisville, all that. Um, but I just am one of those people. I like it being where it is, the regional. I, I think they were balanced more and, um, and people follow and, and get attached to a conference. Everybody does. That's, that's how it is. And so it makes it really very different. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's not going to hurt our conference for sure, but I think it's difficult with the travel. Yeah, I think the travel alone, you know, as a student athlete yourself, Britt, like it was hard, I think, to make that transition. You know, when I first started my college career, we were playing three games on the weekend, as in two on Saturday, one on Sunday. That was three games in almost a 24-hour period. And then 
towards the middle and end of my career is when the conference changed to one game Friday, one game Saturday, one game Sunday. And you started to see even just a difference in athlete performance because the rest was there a little bit more. The travel was a little less, you know, hefty, if you will. But now throwing a cross-country trip definitely makes it tough. So I'll be interested to see how that plays out for the athletes as well, just in their performance and, and you know, tiredness. So it's, it's tough. Well, and I think it was all for football. And fortunately for football, they charter. Yeah. You know, unfortunately for softball, they don't really – charter much if at all um i think some of the sec schools do but i think that's going to be a big budget issue down the road you know is do you charter when you go to the west coast and does the west coast charter when they go to the east coast so tough to yeah yeah and alex you talked about um you know the two and one and we fought for a long time to get one game a day so that the athletes could rest and recover. Um, it helped in terms of even scouting, um, your pitching. Uh, and it took us, I mean, honestly, you know, baseball was doing it and it was like, well, you're going to miss a day of school. Well, hey, baseball does it. You know, why can't we do this? This is better for our athletes, for their recovery, for, you know, us to be able to, you know, you just go out there and give everything in one game and then you can, you know, kind of recoup and then go out and do the next game. And, and it just made a huge difference. But there were a lot of those kind of little situations that we had to fight, not one year for two years, three, you know, it took a while. And um, we even did it for like players of the week. The player of the week most times wound up being a pitcher. And I was like, but the pitcher is always going to get it. Can't we have a pitcher of the week, a player of the week? And I had been on the All-American Committee, and all I did research, and every conference but the ACC had a pitcher and a player of the week. And I was like, it's a piece of paper. It's a line, a piece of paper, right? Like, it made a difference in All-American voting. It made a difference for those players. They have a four-year window. And so those are the kind of things that we – fought for, you know, and Joanne was a big proponent in, in the room and a lot of the coaches. And um, we just wanted the girls to have that great, uh, they have a four-year window. And yes, there is pro. Yes, there's, you know, more opportunities now too, but that's their window. So let's make it the best that we can and, you know, give them the most opportunities that they have so that they can, you know, enjoy and look back on that and have successes. But why can't you put Line two, player of the week. It's a hit for me. Pitcher of the week, right? Jonathan took us like 10 years. And so at one of my last ACC meetings, I brought the previous nine years worth of minutes. And I said, okay, in like 2000 and whatever, we we talked about pitcher and player of the week. And the next year, we talked about player of the week. And the next year, we talked about player of the week. And I went on and on and Finally, I said, this is ridiculous. Let's add, you know, let's do it. And they finally did it. But it really, it was pretty funny. Just hearing, just, I mean, we've been talking for about 30 minutes now. And I know we haven't even scratched the surface of all the battles and challenges you, you both went through in your career to bring the ACC and the programs to what they are now. And, you know, softball is incredibly thankful and I hope that both of you can sit back and coach P and in your first year of retirement and look at this 
this conference and these programs and be proud of what you've done and, and Coach Graff have done from the very beginning because this conference would not be where it is if it didn't have fighters like you from the beginning and for 30 years, 38 years. And um, I hope you can sit back and be proud and watch this conference compete on a national stage and get some teams out to Oklahoma City again. Well, I'll say both to Brittany and Alex and Donna, I'm sure will agree. We did it all for players like you all. And to see the success that you all are having now as young adults, that is what we did it for. And that's what makes us happy and proud of you guys. Y'all, y'all are awesome. Yeah. Yeah, really. Um, I mean, you know, I got obviously to compete, you know, against Alex, had Brittany as a player and um, consider her, you know, a friend and um, very proud of you guys. And I'm really proud of the coaches that are currently in the conference and what they're doing for the game and what they continue to do. And, um, you know, I'm so happy, um, but I'm really happy for you guys. And it's really fun to watch the game just continue to grow. Um, and see little kids, you know, be excited. And and I think that's the one thing about softball um, that I love is that, you know, I don't think we've gotten too big to go like sign a little girl's ball or a shirt or, you know, to see them be so excited. And I know, I think Britt, you did some of the little league world series this summer and like so cool um, to have, you know, somebody too interviewing the kids in the stands and just like, you can't, it doesn't get any better than that, but I, I never, ever got into coaching for the money. I love the sport. I love, you know, seeing players achieve. I love, you know, the relationships you can build and then see how people go on in their lives and, and grow and who they are and, and what they become. And so for me, like that's, that's the icing on the cake really. Well, we're thankful. I think I can speak for all athletes across the board that played for coaches that we love and programs, universities that we're very proud of, and we're thankful. So thanks for fighting the fight. It's the good fight, and it will continue to be fought. So thank you guys for your time. Any last comments anybody has, wants to leave? Looking forward to the season. It's going to be a great one. Yeah. Thank you guys, too, for having us on, and uh, really, really appreciate it a lot. No, thank you both. I don't know how we're going to top our next guest. I mean, the two goats of the ACC. Alex, we, we've got our hands full trying to top this next week. But Hit it out of the park. Thank you both so much. We really are grateful. And come back anytime, please. If you see, if you want to talk about something, we would love to have you. And uh, thank you for your time. And go ACC, go Peels, go Knowles. Let's go. Go. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thank you.